This is Hannah. Oh, hi, Hannah. This is Sarah from This American Life. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Before we go any further, from WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Sarah Koenig, sitting in for Ira Glass. And you're about to hear this story the same way I did, blind. All I know is that it's going to have a coincidence in it. I have no idea what you're about to tell me. So, oh, so yeah, okay. lay it on me. So the story is, I was a freshman in high school um, at Bozeman High School. Just, oh, in Montana. Yes, I and I was in the orchestra. And it was early in my freshman year, and I had made friends in high school but didn't really have orchestra friends yet. And we were taking an orchestra trip. So that was a little nerve-wracking. When you're a freshman, this qualifies as a demi-crisis. A long bus ride to Seattle, sharing a hotel room with someone you don't know. But there's this one girl, Lindsay. She and Hannah have friends in common. So they decide to pair up, to room together, ride the bus together, to be orchestra friends. So um, we go to Seattle, and we're like, it's awkward, you know, because we're like new friends trying to get to know each other. Right. Um, and on one of our free days, they send us to the Space Needle. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Space Needle. I but have. There's that, like, carnival area all around it. Uh-huh. And we were playing the little games all around there, and we won Poopa Troopers. Do you know what those are? No. Okay. Um, They're like the little plastic soldiers that have a plastic parachute. You're supposed to drop them from somewhere and the plastic parachute sort of expands. Oh, what did you call them? (laughs) Poopa troopers. Really? I didn't quite believe Hannah about this, but she looked it up. It's true. Poopa troopers. I just did a Google image search for Koopa Troopers, and I'm seeing images of the little guys. But wait, is it a generic name, or is it a brand name? I think it's a brand name. I think from what I'm seeing here, Imperial Poopa Troopers, maybe? (laughs) His Highness, four-star general Poopa Trooper? Yes, (laughs) exactly. Back to the plot here. Hannah and her new friend Lindsay go to the top of the Seattle Space Needle to try out their prizes. So we we got in the little elevator and ran to the top and ran to the edge and threw the poopa troopers over the edge because there's nothing to stop you, really. And we were just, like, in peals of laughter, and it was... We thought it was so hilarious, and um, it sort of broke the ice in our friendship. Lindsay and Hannah become best friends all through high school. Cut to senior year. Four years later, another orchestra trip. This time to Reno, Nevada. Hannah and Lindsay are in their hotel room, studying. And so Lindsay and I are both sitting at the desk in this hotel room in Reno, Nevada, and a poopa trooper comes flying out of the sky and lands on the windowsill (laughs) of our hotel room. (laughs) Where we are and we both like we couldn't we couldn't believe it. We opened the window and we grabbed the poopa trooper and we ran into the hall to try to like find other people in our orchestra like we thought someone had been playing a trick on us but no one knew what we were talking about no one even remembered the thing in Seattle and so I still to this day don't know why that happened (laughs) every once in a while we get pitches like this at the radio show coincidence stories since they don't really fit into our usual every week we bring you a theme format, we've been setting them aside, wondering what to do with them. They mean so much to people. I don't know. It felt like it was about our friendship. <laughs> you know, it was just, it felt, you know, I, I'm not someone that believes 
in God, really, but it felt a little bit like an act of God or something, like just sort of cosmic and larger than us. Finally, it hit us. If we got enough of them, we could put them on the radio as their own thing. So we put out a call to listeners. Send us your coincidence stories. And you did. Hundreds and hundreds of you did. We've read at least 1,300 coincidence stories, interviewed dozens of people. Here are just a few things we've learned. You're most prone to coincidences when you're young, teens or 20s. Lots of coincidences involve your grandmother. You're likely to experience a coincidence if you're in or near the Netherlands. Coincidences also happen to you in or near airplanes or on Craigslist. For many of you, coincidences were the answer to your prayers or helped you find your missing bike. Also, there are coincidences hidden in your name, your keys, your clothes, your address. Like when Flora and Regaciano Pena first started dating. When we met, he said that he was born in Salmonelli, and I said, well, I was too. And then when we were going to get married and we needed our birth certificates, uh, we compared them, and it was the same building. We heard stories about a lost roll of film discovered, coincidentally, in the stomach of a decomposing hyena. About the man who got his favorite t-shirt back from a stranger's knapsack in Slovakia. About the woman who was dating not one, but two Mark Steven Andersons at the same time. About the student whose car broke down in rush hour on a busy highway, and the one person who just happens to stop who comes to her rescue. It's her dad, who lives four hours away. And one of my favorites, from a woman named Jill Peterson, who felt nauseated on the subway in New York City. As they pull into the Second Avenue stop, there's a garbage can perfectly positioned to help her out. So the train doors open, and I'm beelining it for this can. And as I get there, out of the corner of my eye, I kind of see, like, another person heading my direction, kind of like going for the can, too. And, uh, you know, it's it's all coming up, and I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing up. And as I'm throwing up in this can... This person that was coming towards me starts throwing up in the can, too, and we're both, like, simultaneously barfing into this can into the subway station. And we kind of look at each other like, whoa, I don't know. what. How, how are you feeling? And she's like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit better now. I'm like, me too. What's the only way to survive throwing up in front of a subway car full of strangers? Have a nice girl your age do it with you. And numbers. So many coincidences with numbers. One woman told us how she was at Thanksgiving with her extended family, and they suddenly realized that six of them had the exact same number of letters in their names. 23 letters. Michael Arthur Vandipati. Mary Elizabeth Vandipati. William Arthur Vandipati. There was the guy at the mall doing surveys who had to ask people their phone number. It's obvious the guy who's surveying starts to make up a number. He says, 933456... When he read off that last number, he said, 8? And I kind of step back for a second, but I was cool, and I said, no, sir, I'm sorry. That's not your phone number. And he said, why isn't that my phone number? And I said, because that's my phone number. That's my phone number. The phone number that you just made up is actually my phone number. These stories reminded me of an old Chinese saying I once heard. Actually, I learned it a couple weeks ago, and I have no idea how old it is. But it goes like this. That's my friend, Yuan-Yuan-D. And what does it mean? If there's no coincidence, there won't be stories. No coincidence, no story. To imply that, of course, 
lives are all, I don't know, developed in the ways that we can't predict. So is it like if you heard a story with a coincidence afterwards, you might be like, no coincidence, no story, like that? That's right. Yes. Just uh, expression you use to quote. Is it like a corny thing to say? Mostly, I think of no, it, it won't be a corny thing to say. Do you ever use it? When I'm corny, yes. <laughs> At the risk of being corny, I'm going to say it. Today's show, no coincidence, no story. While the big man's away, Ira's on vacation, we're going to sneak these coincidence stories onto the air. All the stories you'll hear today, they are verified, true stories that my colleagues hid from me until the actual interviews, so it wouldn't spoil the surprise, which is why there is so much unprofessional giggling this hour. And full disclosure, I came into this topic a coincidence skeptic, or rather, believing that a coincidence is just a coincidence, nothing more. I judged, I confronted weakness, I countered wide-eyed faith with statistical probability, and by the end, well, stay with us. Act one, grandmas. Blake Oliver is living in Nicaragua right now. We talked on Skype. About four months ago, he was on the phone to his friend Camille, who goes by Cammy. He mentioned to her that the screensaver on his iPhone had been the same picture for a long time, that he wanted to change it. So I, I asked her to um, just send me a picture of something. Uh-huh. And, and it was really funny. She ended up sending me this picture of her as a little kid as a joke. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. <clears throat> it's like, not what I was expecting, but that's funny. And then I glanced back at the picture, and I saw my grandma walking through behind her. What? Yeah. How crazy is that, right? Very crazy. The picture was taken about 18 years ago. But you recognized her right away. Oh, oh absolutely. There was no question that was Grandma Joyce. It was without question Grandma Joyce. Coincidences like this one usually have a dense nest of details to bolster the craziness. Here goes. Blake is from Michigan. That's where he met Camille. But Camille's family isn't from Michigan at all. They're originally from Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. That's where she grew up. Yeah, that's where she grew up. Was this this photo from Utah? No, and that's the funny thing is my grandma lives in Melbourne, Florida. And I'm thinking, oh, she must have been in Utah and walked past it. And Cammie's like, no. No, that that picture was taken in Parksville, uh, Vancouver Island in Canada. What? Yeah, right? Blake figured out that at the same time that Cammie and her family were on vacation in Vancouver, Grandma Joyce had gone there to visit some of her husband's relatives. Like, what are the the chances to think that not only did I meet Cammie, but she sends me this picture of her in the background of my grandma. I don't know what the chances are. Minuscule. Right? Yes. And not only like, I don't know if you've seen the picture, but not only just in the picture, but like perfectly behind her. At that moment, a fellow producer emailed me the photo and there it was cute four-year-old cami in the foreground facing the camera and not far behind her a blonde woman walking past wearing blue shorts and a matching top yeah and she has no idea she's in the picture even yeah right it's not no like, clue. yeah she doesn't seem aware but i have to say it's it, it's a little um you know it's not a very crisp photo like i'm sort of surprised you would recognize her right away well yeah there's not a lot of it's my grandma. I don't know. I was like, 
<laughs> it was like. <laughs> Twenty years ago, for my first reporting job, I interviewed a woman who'd just turned a hundred years old. I asked her, admittedly, a rookie question: "What's the most amazing thing that's happened in your life?" She thought for a while, and then she said, "The most interesting thing that happened to me was that on my first day at Patchogue School, the principal said to me, 'What's your name?'" I said, "Esther Tuttle," and he said, "I have a friend in Shelter Island by that name." I was twelve, she said, and that, to me, was remarkable. This woman had seen the advent of cars and movies and computers and space travel, and this was her answer. At the time, I thought it was lame that maybe Esther was losing it a little. But since I started hearing all these coincidence stories the last couple of weeks, I've reconsidered. Coincidences feel so rare; they stick with you, even when the coincidence is barely a coincidence at all. An academic study of people's reactions to coincidence stories from the early 1980s found that we have an egocentric bias toward our own coincidences. That people find stories that happen to them far more surprising than the same stories happening to other people. Case in point. My name is Juliana Bontrager, and I'm 16 years old. Juliana, she's got a problem with her grandmother. My grandma has been obsessed with coincidences. And she finds them in her life all the time, and she always wants to tell everyone about them. And we get kind of annoyed with her sometimes because <laughs> she just she thinks they're so incredible and how they happen to her all the time. And it's just you know, it's every time we see her, oh my gosh, you would not believe what happened to me. And they're always,、um, you know, I was at the hospital with,、um, you know, she lives with her cousin, so she takes her cousin to the、um, doctor's office. Quite a bit for appointments and stuff, and she'll be sitting in the waiting room, and then、um, you know they'll drive to go get lunch after that, and they'll see the people they were waiting in the waiting room with、um, at the restaurant.、Mm-hmm. And I've always, you know, I always thought that was funny because it's like, yeah, that's a coincidence, but you know, maybe they're just going to get lunch too. Like it's not that、right. big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. So then a while ago, I was doing a project in my English class. We were reading the Scarlet Letter book. Uh huh. And I was、um, once we finished the book, our like end project was we had to come up with what our sin was or what sin we struggled with the most. And、um, I chose envy, so we had to create our own letter out of paper, and then we had to like safety pin it to our shirt and wear it around school the entire day. So as I was coloring in my letter and cutting it out,、um, my mom was listening to. The show Monk in the background.、Mm-hmm. As we were watching it,、um, I was literally like cutting out my last, you know, line on the、um, letter E for envy, and it said on the show, "I've studied the seven sins, and the most prominent one is envy."、Mm-hmm. As I was cutting out my letter, and so I immediately called my grandma and was telling her about it, and she was like, "Oh, uh huh, that's a good one, yeah." And then I didn't really hear back from her after that, and I thought, like, well, maybe she's just envious of my great coincidence. <laughs> and and I was sitting there, like, are you kidding? Mine was so much better. You just happened to run into a person twice in one day. I do that all the time, you know. What are the odds that as I'm cutting out this letter E, they would talk about that on a show? And I was so confused about it. Okay, so Juliana's coincidence is a common one. We've all had those moments when you're reading a certain word and then someone says it on the radio or on TV. 
But remember, Julian is 16. So maybe this is the first time it's happening to her. Still, I'm on her side here. I think it is more remarkable than her grandmother's example of the people in the waiting room being at the restaurant. Do you, are, do you have a phone where you can dial up your grandma right now? I can try. Try it. Okay, one second. So Juliana conferenced her grandmother in so we could settle this. I'm here. Elaine Olson. Elaine Olson. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, dear. I laid out my argument for Elaine about the purity and therefore superiority of Juliana's example. But Elaine argued right back. There were several hours between the two sightings. Plus, the restaurant was about four miles from the hospital. And in that four-mile radius, you might say, I could have gone to any number of restaurants. The fact that I ran into her at that restaurant, I think, is a coincidence. I think it's... She could have gone any place, too. That's that's true. I mean, that's true. It's not that, I'm not saying it's not a coincidence. I'm just saying it's not maybe oh. as pure as... Like, you can break down the sort of probabilities of well, a certain kind of person oh, in a certain kind of neighborhood going... I don't going. think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. I wow. think that is... Do you think you're somehow prone to coincidences? Like, coincidences I find you know. more than they find other people? I don't know. That's what I, why, you know, in my own family, I've asked them, does this happen to you? And don't get, you know, you know much of a response. But you are more asked impossible to argue with. So when you ask... <laughs> When you ask for coincidences, we have nothing to give to you because you have, you are so set in your way. 81, okay, yeah, okay. (laughs) So what would Juliana, like, what would Juliana have to experience in terms of a coincidence that would impress you, do you think? Like, what would it need to be? Well, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, I had my my cousin up at another doctor's and sitting in the reception area, gentleman across from me. This time it was about an Asian man in the waiting room, whom she later saw buying a melon at Trader Joe's, which Elaine admitted wasn't as good as the other one. Act two, In God We Trust. It's probably no surprise that we got a huge number of coincidence pitches about love, romantic love. A few years ago, after Stephen Lee proposed to his girlfriend, Helen, they brought their families together for the first time to celebrate the engagement. My mom and my stepdad came to New York to meet with Helen's parents. And basically, over the course of dinner and coffee afterwards, we discovered that uh, basically my father had dated my wife's mother (gasps) back in Korea back in the 1960s. (laughs) And he had proposed to her. I'm going to slow this down a sec just to let it sink in. Helen's mother had almost married Stephen's father, his late father, actually. He died when Stephen was 17. And how this all came out was that after they had dinner, they went back to Stephen's apartment. They were looking at Stephen's family photographs. So, you know, my future mother-in-law is flipping through the album, and she sees my dad. And so she asks, uh, you know, oh, oh, what was his name? And my mom tells the name, and, you know, my, my future mother-in-law kind of just nods and kind of just moves on, keeps on flipping through the book, doesn't even say anything. It's am- imagine what she must have been feeling seeing that photo suddenly, just, like, flooded. Yeah. Crazy. She has a... She is must... I think she'd be really good at poker. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Helen's mother says nothing, goes home. But later that night, she tells her daughter... This was the one. This was the man who might have been. 
She explained that the reason they hadn't married was because her father, Helen's grandfather, had chosen a different husband for her, the man who became Helen's father. All of them ended up living in the U.S., but they quickly lost touch. And Stephen didn't find out about any of this until a couple of days later. That's when Helen, you know, calls me up and says, uh, I have something to tell you. And she tells me, and I was, I was floored by it. Um, and, you know, together we called my mom. And, you know, she put a good face on it, she, but she was, you know, she was pretty shocked. Did she know that there had been this other woman that your father had that, been in love that's with? That's the thing. My dad told her years and years ago, you know, there was this other woman that I, that I, that I was in love with at one point, you know, long before I met you. But mom was like, look, you have a past, I have a past, we all have a past, who cares? Um, of course, you know, never thinking that she was going to share grandchildren with that woman. I mean, she later admitted to me that if she had known this from the very beginning, she would have not supported Helen and me. Um, she really? Would have, you know, it would have just been like, look, being with the daughter of, this, of the other woman your dad loved, I mean, it would, can't you find someone else? <laughs> How did you take this coincidence? Did, did it come to mean anything to you or to Helen? Yeah, there's something about it, the fact that, you know, I didn't have the time with my dad that I wished I had had. Yeah. And then suddenly to kind of have him be kind of an active part of my life again, to think that uh, I can talk to my mother-in-law and hear what he was like in his 20s, something that my mom doesn't even know. And, you know, my actually Helen's father is a strong believer in the idea that somehow my dad somehow is behind all this, that somehow... You know, he's kind of helped make all this happen. At the time this next love story takes place, a guy named Paul Gretchen was working in a Chicago suburb called Arlington Heights. He'd just started dating a woman named Esther. They'd been out maybe eight times. And I thought maybe it was time to uh, get exclusive or become boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever it was. And uh, I was about to go out to lunch, and I was thinking about asking her on a Friday date that I had um, set up. And I went out to lunch. I stopped at the store prior to hitting the deli that I normally hit. And uh, I got some change, went to the deli, ordered my sandwich. It was six bucks or something like that. I pulled out a five from my wallet, and I pulled out the couple bucks change that I had gotten from uh, the store, handed the clerk one of the ones, uh, and then I looked at it, and I, I pulled it back. Written on the dollar in pencil was uh, Esther. And I thought, oh, that's weird. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking about asking her to go steady, and I get this dollar that says Esther on it. It's bizarre. So I stuck it in my pocket, you know, chuckled. I went to the store. I got one of those floating frames and a little piece of gold lame, and I stuck the dollar in the frame. So it was floating in the middle on this piece of gold, as if, you know, you're going to go in a church in Italy, and they had a, a fragment from the robe of some saint or something like that. And I called it the Immaculate Dollar of Arlington Heights. So um, on the Friday, I, I asked her out, and she was, you know, all excited, and we were all giddy. And then I, I said, "Hey, I have one more thing for you." And I gave her this frame with this dollar in it. I, I start unwrapping it, and he's like, "It's a dollar with your name on it." And he's he's all like beside himself, and I, I just look at him like. I'm freaked out. She uh, kind of furrowed her brow a little bit and looked concerned. And uh, I said, you know, is there a, some sort of problem? 
I, I was speechless for the first time ever. But I said, you know, remind me to tell you something later. So, okay, you know, we, I, I let it go. And uh, we, you know, we had a relationship, got engaged, we got married. A couple years later, we were um, unpacking at a new apartment that we had. And I had the, I found the, the frame with the dollar in it. And I stuck it up on the dresser and she came in the room. I said, hey, um, you never told me about this dollar. What's the deal with that? She said, well. When I was 19, you know, I was a cashier working in a, a copy shop in downtown Chicago and I was dating someone and I just wasn't happy with him. And I just thought, you know, how do people know who the right person that they're meant to be with? How do they, how do they know who that is? I said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to put my name on this dollar bill. And the guy that gets this dollar bill is going to be the guy that asks me to marry him. And I'm like, well, you can't just write your name on one. Actually, I think it was more like maybe 10 or 12. And so this dollar bill that you gave me, I believe is the same dollar bill that I wrote my name on. And I knew that we were going to be married the day that you gave me this dollar bill. It was pretty crazy. And then he made me tell him the story again. He asked me like five or six times. And I said, the details don't change. It's the same story. Like he couldn't, I think he was a little bit beside himself that that actually happened. And that I didn't tell him. You know, I, I, I don't know how I found the will to not say anything to him, but I just remember, like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, do I, you know, what do I do? I don't want to freak this guy out and be like, what? This girl's already talking about marriage? Wait, what? Forget it. You know, I don't read too much into almost anything, so I just kind of moved forward. And then after she told me, I think I went through all the, the normal stages of whatever, and I just thought, well, what does this mean? For us, are we going to invent a time machine or are our kids going to bring world peace? Or like, well, what's the, like, is there some sort of bigger thing that we're not seeing here? Now it just sits in that very same frame up on our uh, dresser and I look at it every day that I wake up. Sometimes I remind her that we have it when she's upset at me or angry. It's never been a question in my mind, like, you know what, I'm going to kick this guy to the curb. But I, but I do believe it's because of this dollar that I feel tied to him. I mean, obviously, I love him, but I think that if it ever did cross my mind, I'd be like, but wait, I, this is my soulmate. I can't just walk out on him. You know, we don't, we don't even wear wedding bands. I'm like, why? Just, I know I'm stuck with you. You got this dollar bill. <laughs> I guess he could also, you know, put it back out into the register and then be like, look, I'm cashing this in. <laughs> I think it's got to go to somebody else. He could do that. Paul and Esther Gretchen, they've been married for 14 years. I got a dollar, says I'll be your man. If you forget the fear, let me take your hand. There's a part of our love that I don't understand I know the cost of providence is our currency But there's some place I'm supposed to be 
three. Brother, can you spare a dime? This story comes from Ryan Rosar in Los Angeles. It happened when I was in college. Um, I was actually pledging a fraternity, mm-hmm. and I ran into some of the like the seniors and the, um, on campus, and they were laughing about something. And so one of them tells me the story that had happened to him that day, supposedly, where he gets in the shower, and about five, ten minutes into his shower, he hears a ping, and he looks down, and sitting on the floor of the shower between his feet is a nickel, and has no idea where this nickel came from or, you know, why it's there. Uh, You know, obviously, like, we, like, everyone was making jokes that, you know, he had change falling out of his butt, and, (laughs) you know, people were like, were you eating dollar bills, or, you know, (laughs) but... Anyway, we have our laughs, and I, I go home, and I don't think much about it. The next day, I get in the shower, and like five, ten minutes into my shower, I hear a ding, and I look down, and right between my feet is a quarter. So uh, my first thought was, you know, how did they do it? Like, my thought was, I totally assumed that this must not have really happened to him, that was a setup, and somehow they set this up to happen to me, but I could not figure out how. I was just like, you know, it had to be a prank, basically. Oh, that's uh, so, like, that's so smart of you to, to, like, figure out the whole con. That's, I mean, that's what I assume. Right. But then I go, I go and I talk to him, and I tell him what happened to me, and I'm kind of watching his face for that, you know, the laugh or the glint in his eye of mischief or whatever. Right. And he, it's, he just looks kind of, sincerely mystified by the fact that this happened to me (laughs) right after it happened to him. Then like a week later, I get in the shower and like five, 10 minutes in, I hear ting, ting. And I look down and there's about 35 cents between my feet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So each time this ting's happening, there's that moment of like, no way. (laughs) Before I look down and there, there's more change. So at this point, like obviously, my my mind's going to some like weird places because I, you don't want to be the butt change fairy guy, you know. Like there's somehow <laughs> there's just it, it, there's nothing, no way this story could be good for me. And then no explanation comes, but it doesn't happen for a while. For like I want to say probably a month uh-huh. until one day I'm about to get in the shower. And I reach behind me to scratch my back, and I feel something cold and metal on my back. And I, I turn around to show my, you know, to like turn my back to the mirror. Right. And there is like a whole pocket full of change <laughs> stuck to my back. What do you mean and stuck to it? In what way? Stuck to it. Well, this is what I figured out. <laughs> so like, it wasn't, there was no adhesive or anything. It was just like impressed into my back. So I figured out what was going on is that I had a bad habit of falling asleep with my pants on because, you know, it was college. I'd nap a lot. And so I'd also sleep with my shirt off because my apartment was really hot. So what was happening was change was falling out of my pockets onto my bed and I was laying on it. And all that sweat and pressure was just sticking the coins to my back. Like they're just literally like impressed into my back and it was taking about five minutes of, of water running on it to dislodge them at which point they're dropping 
<laughs> at my feet. Clearly, I love this story, but I did not see the coincidence in it. Ryan said there was absolutely a coincidence. It happened to that one kid, the senior, and then it happened to him the very next day. I disagree. I think this is probably a common quirk of college boy life. Lounging around, shirtless and groggy, on unclean sofas and beds. Probably half the boys at his college had change stuck to them. I told Ryan so. so I don't think there's any coincidence involved at all. I do, and, and because I'll tell you, I know, I've know i known lots of lots of guys who've lived in, in pretty squalor conditions. <laughs> And other than me and that other guy, I've never heard someone, you know, having the change falling from them. It's just because they're (laughs) not admitting it. It's just because they're not admitting it. I swear to God. Start asking. Start asking. Hello? Hi. Okay, can I come in for a second? I knew Ryan wouldn't actually start asking, so I started asking. Because while Ryan's life is sure to contain many special and unique experiences, I am positive that this is not one of them. So off I went to prove him wrong, because finding others would be so easy. I happen to live in a college town, State College, Pennsylvania, home of Penn State. So I dropped by a frat house. Has this ever happened to you? No. No. Never Never in my life. Never? Never in my life, no. Never? Never. Wait, so you've, have you never heard of that happening to anybody? Not even close. Never heard of it. What about you? Never, ever. Never? I mean, I think it'd be a nice icebreaker with, like, with women. Why? Because, like, in a conversation, you could be like, oh, this weird thing happened to me. Yeah, I, I always got change stuck to my back or my butt for weeks. Anyway, lots and lots of no's. I asked whole classes. Has this happened to anyone? No. And then we thought, Pennsylvania, it's too cold. Ryan went to college in Southern California. We got to go south. So we sent reporters to the University of Virginia. All right, have you heard of this happening? No. I've never heard that before. No, no none of us have heard this, had this happen. No. 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 Nope. That's the first. To frats at University of North Carolina. Never heard of that problem, no. <laughs> All the way to Miami. We asked at two different universities there. You never had it fall off in the shower? No. No, I can't say that it has. No. No. No, it's never happened. That's never happened to me. (laughs) Never. I've never heard of that happen to anybody. So now, I guess. Maybe it's a California thing? So we went to UCLA to match the climatological conditions at Ryan's school. Has it ever happened to you? No. That doesn't happen. I don't think. Doesn't happen? It's not a thing. That is not a thing. So, does that mean Ryan was right? It really was a coincidence? Maybe. I asked at one more class in Pennsylvania. Has this ever happened to any of you? Oh, it has. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Penn State senior Casey Phillips. It's actually like an ongoing joke in our apartment because there's just change in our shower all the time. (laughs) It's just from you or others in your apartment, too? Uh, Just me. Actually, there's change in my shower right now. Um, It's There's like a... roommate texted me today why is there change in the shower because i forgot to to take it out because that happens to me all the time like you said i take naps all the time like i pretty much just sleep in naps like in like two hour spurts and i just sleep in my jeans and i have change in my jeans and it comes out and it gets in my bed (laughs) i figured it out the same way he did it's that story was eerily similar (laughs) 
I am so pleased to meet you. <laughs> Coming up, don't lift that manhole cover. That's 23 letters, by the way. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio and Public Radio International when our program continues. It's This American Life. I'm Sarah Koenig, sitting in for Ira Glass. We've borrowed today's show title from a Chinese saying that goes, no coincidence, no story. We asked you for your coincidence stories, and you flooded us with more than 1,300 pitches. We found trends, we found gems, we found stories impossible to classify. My name's Jeff Dunn. Jeff Dunn, okay. Jeff grew up in Sioux City, Iowa. When he was 16, he was hanging out with two of his friends at someone's house. The parents weren't home. They were goofing around, smoking pot. They were in the living room that had a huge window on one wall. And so we're sitting there, and we're kind of sitting along this glass wall, and there's a dirt road outside of his house. And up this dirt road barrels this van. Um, and the thing that happens next is what you think is going to happen when you see a, a white van like that at night. These two guys get out. They're all kind of bundled up. And they um, pretty quickly just run to the back of the van, open it up, and pull out this big black bag. So they get out, they take the, the bag out, and they quickly run up this kind of small hill that's behind his house. Um, and it's all wooded, there's no houses back there. So they run up this hill with this bag, and less than like two minutes later, they come running back down. And they get in the van, and they take off. So Jeff and his friends do precisely what you don't want them to do. If this were an after-school special, this is the point where you're yelling at the TV, saying, don't do it, stay inside. But they decide they have to find out what the strange men in the van have deposited at the top of the hill. So they run up there. We get to the top, and we kind of look around, and then we see that kind of on one side of it, there's this, this manhole cover, like a circular manhole cover like you'd see anywhere. And... Coming from one of the edges of the manhole cover, it's in place, is um, long brown hair, human hair. Long brown human hair. They are teenagers, they are stoned, they are freaked out. They have to tell an adult about what they've seen. A police car happens to drive by, they flag it down, and the officer tells them to get in the back. It became clear that she was really concerned because she then said... Yeah, there's been a girl missing on the west side of town for the last couple days. Oh, my God. So, again, like, our hearts just sort of drop. And you hadn't known that hadn't been on the news or something like that? We had no idea. You had no idea. Okay. So we we just kind of got scared at that point. Can I can I stop you for a second? Is this story going to get funny, or is this a horrifying story? Wait, actually, don't tell me. Don't I tell me. I can't tell you. Okay, don't tell me. Um, so she calls another officer. And the other officer comes, there's a couple cars, um, and they both get out and they tell us to get out and they say, okay, wait at the bottom of the hill. So we're waiting. They go walking up to the top. And it's dark, so we can't really see them that well, but we can see them well enough. And we don't really want to watch what's going on because we see them bend over, pull the cover off. And I'm trying not to look, but of course I'm looking and... She pulls up a human figure out of the hole. Oh, my God. And then she says, it's a mannequin. (laughs) I don't know what my friends are thinking, but I was sitting there thinking, that's the only, like, 
how does this story end up okay? And it doesn't in any <laughs> universe, you know? Like, unless you say it's a mannequin. <laughs> Jeff goes to school on Monday, tells this story in physics class, and the kid next to him says, that was us. We did it. We went around stealing holiday decorations, and we had to get rid of them, so we stuffed them under the manhole cover. The mannequin, by the way, had been the Virgin Mary in someone's nativity scene. I think the real coincidence is that it's like our close friends that um, caused this to happen to us. Oh, they were good friends of yours. Yeah. Right. All right. No, Jeff. Turns out, that is not the real coincidence of the story. My fellow producer Brian Reed was listening to all these interviews as they were happening, and he interrupted to tell us we'd both missed the point. Brian has just pointed out that I'm missing... <laughs> you and I are both missing the main I don't even know the coincidence of my own story. Yeah, I submitted it to the coincidences thing. So the main coincidence is there's a girl missing at the same time. Yeah. I have five words for you, Jeff. No coincidence, no story. Here's a definition of coincidence that seems right to me. A coincidence is a surprising concurrence of events perceived as meaningfully related with no apparent causal connection. It's that middle part, meaningfully related, that people seem to get stuck on. Because when events line up just so, you can't help it. You can't help but wonder if there's a message in that. In that way, coincidences are kind of like shortcuts to very big questions about fate, about God, even to people who don't believe in either one. The notion that somewhere out there, someone or something is paying attention to your life, that there might be a plan conjured through coincidences, that notion seems to be most appealing when you're young. We got one story about a young couple visiting Marrakesh in Morocco. They're at a restaurant, talking like you do about old flames. The boyfriend wanted to know about one guy in particular. I asked Kate, Kate, what did this guy look like? And Kate just stopped dead in her tracks and lifted one hand to her mouth and with the other hand pointed across the restaurant and she said, oh my God, he looked like that. And she crossed the restaurant and tapped him on the back of the shoulder and it was him. The daughter of a jazz guitarist named Andy Riley wrote to us about the time she was 19 in a room listening to an Ella Fitzgerald album. I was listening to the song That Old Black Magic and at the end of the song, Ella throws in a line, that old black magic that Billy Daniels got me in. And I've heard her you know, sing that line on that album dozens of times before and wondered, who's Billy Daniels? But on this particular day, for some reason, I felt inspired to go out to the, to the living room and ask my dad who Billy Daniels was. And he explained that in the 40s, the, Billy Daniels had sung old black magic in a way that made it his song and he was referred to as mr black magic i guess back in the 40s and it was a big deal at the time and i'd asked my dad had you met him you know did you ever know billy daniels and he said that billy daniels was probably dead now and just literally at that moment the phone rang so i answered the phone and this sort of playful gravelly voice asked for andy riley and i said who's who's calling and he said billy daniels so, last September, um, I was living in Roswell, New Mexico, and I had woken up in jail for, like, the last time. This is Etta Thorderson. 
When this happened just six months ago, she was 20 years old, on drugs, hanging out with street kids. Her mom offered to buy her a bus ticket to Washington State to go to rehab. Etta said yes. She took her dog and got on the bus. In Los Angeles, there was a stopover at the depot. This guy comes up to her while she's waiting in line to get food. She's got $2, just enough for some French fries. The guy starts asking her questions about her dog. And he starts asking the other random questions like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And, and then he asked me, are you from Alaska? And I was like, uh, yeah, I am actually. And then he asked me, is your mom named Meg? And I was like, um, mm-hmm, yeah, she is. And he's like, oh, well. Well, I'm Chris. I'm your father. I met you 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, holy <laughs> Etta had only seen her father that one time, briefly, when she was 11. And then he pulls out a big wad of money and, like, he pays for my food. And then he hands me 40 bucks. And it's like, don't say I never gave you nothing and walked away. That, what, I... <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, shocked by this story. And he didn't... That was it? You didn't see him again? He didn't... No. You could, you could tell he felt bad. Did you expect something more to happen? Like, did you think, oh, yeah, well, here's really how this is going to we go? Yeah, I go, like, sit down and eat together. And I was going to, you know, lay out my whole life story for him. And he was going to explain his life and where, where he's been. I was kind of looking forward to that, but then it didn't happen. Mostly I just, I want to like study his face for longer, just because that's, I mean, I've seen him twice and I, I still can't really remember what he looks like. Do you regret not, not pursuing him in some way? Yeah, absolutely. In the moment I was just, I was, you know, I was so sick. I just really mm. couldn't comprehend. It wasn't until I got on the bus that I was kind of just like, why didn't I run after him? I've just spent my whole life wondering about this man, and, you know, the chance to talk to him was put right in front of my face, and I didn't really understand that at the time, and I let it go. Emiliano Garcia Sarnoff also hadn't seen his father in many years since he was seven or eight years old. He lived in California, but was visiting a national park in Mexico with his mother when he was 18. They hiked to the top of a pyramid there. The whole place was sort of off the beaten track. We're walking, walking along, and there, there are some people passed in front of us, and my mom said, Oh, my God. Raul? And then she turned to me and said, That's, that's your father. Um, that's your dad. And... And it was. Also, coincidentally, it was Father's Day. So I, I ended up sort of embarrassingly breaking down crying on that pyramid. It was a really emotional moment for me. My father definitely, you know, his absence meant a lot to me. And we said, yeah, we're going to, you know, stay in contact. And after they said bye, they left. And he came running back up the hill about 20 minutes later. And, you know, you could hear him panting. And he said, Emiliano, I just want to say I'm sorry that I didn't stay in touch and, and that I love you. And he turned and went back down, down the hill. Emiliano's story goes the way Etta wishes hers had gone. After a rocky few years, he and his father did get to know each other and each other's families. Emiliano had a son who now had a grandfather. Emiliano's father had left him when he was a baby. But when his father died a couple of years ago, 
Emiliano was there at the hospital. They'd had a real relationship. And that never would have happened, Emiliano said, if he hadn't seen him that day at the pyramid. Walking down that pyramid, I was talking out loud to myself. And I was saying, like, I, the, this is one strong memory I have, is I was saying, don't forget, don't forget, you know. <laughs> I was just sort of getting angry with my future self, which I knew would rationalize this, this event, you know. Because I, I had a very distinct sense that I had felt that this, this was definitely a miracle. Something had intervened and brought us together. You know, you don't just run into your father on top of a pyramid. So I think I was a believer for about a week. Um, and then... And then, that very pause, that brings us to Act 5. What are the chances? In order to let a good coincidence live a long and healthy life, to get told and retold and take its rightful place in the narrative of your life, sometimes you have to stop yourself from thinking it all the way through, why it happened really. Because the fact is, any statistician will probably rain on your parade. We'll tell you these things happen a lot more often than you think. But a good coincidence is like a good magic trick. When you see one, a struggle ensues instantaneously between the thrill of the apparent miracle and the urge to debunk it. This final story is by Kerry Weeks. He's a prop guy for the movies, but he told this at a storytelling competition. So here's my story. Nine years old, first time going to summer camp. And my grandfather gives me, before I go, he gives me his old pocket knife. It's practically an antique. And so the first thing all of us boys do when we get to camp is we pull out our knives and we start throwing them at things, (laughs) trying to get them to stick the way Daniel Boone did. And because it's the 1970s, there's nothing unusual about a bunch of young children throwing sharp knives around. (laughs) And I got mine to stick in the floorboard. It was like, wong. And it was great, but when I pulled it out, the tip broke off. Uh, But anyway, camp goes on, and a few days later, I notice my knife is missing. And I look everywhere for it. I look high, I look low, it's gone. But then one day, I'm walking through camp, and I see this group of boys throwing knives at a tree, and something tells me I should check this out. And sure enough, there's this boy there throwing my knife. Now, there's no mistaking this knife, because... The handle was red and green, but the colors met in the middle and kind of swirled together in a trippy, psychedelic way. And I've never seen a knife like that before or since. So I walk up to this boy. He's a little older, but I walk up to him and I say, hey, that's my knife. And he says, no, it's mine. And I say, no, that's my knife. My grandfather gave it to me. And he says, no, he didn't. <laughs> he says, my grandfather gave it to me. And I'm confused all of a sudden. (laughs) Maybe I should have thought this through a bit more. I thought he would just hand it over. And the other boys, they like move in close. And I'm thinking, could it be possible that his grandfather gave him the exact same knife that my grandfather gave me? I mean, is this a thing and I just didn't know it? (laughs) But I look at the knife he's holding in his hand and I look at the blade and I see that the tip of the blade is squared off as though it were broken. And I say, that's my knife because I broke the tip off when I stuck it in the floor. And he says, what, that? No, it came that way so you can use it like a screwdriver. <laughs> and I look at the other boys and I'm not getting any help from them. 
And so I wander off, just thinking to myself, screwdriver. I never thought of that. (laughs) Well, as you can imagine, this really bugged me. And I don't mean just while I was at camp, but like for the rest of my life. (laughs) And, you know, I kept thinking, why did I fold so easily? Why didn't I go to the counselors? And the only thing I can think of is this. I'm the son of a physicist. And I used to ask my dad these questions all the time, like, Dad, how far away is the sun? Dad, how fast is the speed of light? Dad, what's the closest star? And he would give me these answers and these numbers that were just so f***ing huge, I couldn't get my mind around them. So my, my point is this. I, better than most other children, had an idea of just how vast the universe is. And therefore, how infinite the possibilities are. So my, the thing is, at the time, I thought, well, maybe the kid's telling the truth. So the only reason why I bring this up is because this is what I was thinking of when some 32 years later, I become the landlord of a small apartment building. And one of the first things I did as a landlord was I, I threw this guy out because he was a small-time drug dealer. So on the day he's moving out, I get a call from his neighbor across the hall, a a guy I call Budweiser Bob, and (laughs) Budweiser Bob says, hey, that druggie is stealing your refrigerator. (laughs) And so I hop down there, and sure enough, in the driveway is a pickup truck, and in the back of the pickup truck is a refrigerator. So I charge up the stairs, and I demand to know just what the hell is going on. And Nick, the druggie, calmly tells me, he says, dude, when I moved in here, that refrigerator was so gross, I bought my own refrigerator and swapped it out. And I put that one in storage, and now I'm just putting it back. (laughs) And I look in the kitchen, and sure enough, there's another refrigerator. It's a little old, a little dirty, but it's working. And I'm trying to think this through. I mean, would someone really go to all that trouble of just swapping out a refrigerator and then putting in storage and bringing it back? Or would a guy go to the trouble of stealing a used refrigerator just to screw his landlord and replacing it with an even more used refrigerator? (laughs) And, well, the answer to both these questions is yes. (laughs) But I look up, and there's Nick, and he's expecting me to say something, and there's his buddies who are helping him move, and they're expecting me to say something. So I walk up to Nick, and I look him in the eye, and I say to him, say, you sweep up real good before you leave. <laughs> because there's just too many possibilities in this universe. Thank you. Terry Weeks lives in New York. His story was recorded live at a Moth Story Slam in New York City. The Moth Radio Hour is now airing weekly on public radio stations. At the beginning of the show, I said I was a skeptic. But after talking to so many people about coincidences, including a Stanford mathematician who spent decades studying them, I end up here, agreeing with this one woman I interviewed about her coincidence. She knew her story could probably be explained away with statistics and probability. But she said, there's just a poetry to things like this when they happen. There's some kind of beauty in it. 
There's meaning in the noticing of it at all. If I hadn't made a left-hand turn If you hadn't made a right If I'd waited just a moment our program was produced today by Brian Reed and me, with Alex Bloomberg, Ben Calhoun, Mickey Meek, Jonathan Menhivar, Lisa Pollock, Robin Simeon, Alyssa Ship, and Nancy Updike. Our senior producer is Julie Snyder. Production help from Fia Benin and from Elna Baker, who read so many of your pitches. Seth Lind is our operations director. Emily Condon's our production manager. Elise Bergerson's our administrative assistant. Music help from Damien Grafe and Rob Geddes. Thanks so much to the hundreds and hundreds of you who sent us your stories and took the time to let us interview you, including Layla Wright, Catherine Vandeputty, Bob Yonka, Eric Johnson, and Hannah Jacoby. Thanks also to Peter Aguero, John Bewin, Eric Mennel, Jane Marie, Marva Hinton, Dave Hunter, Percy Diaconis at Stanford University, Julie Beer, Jen Fallon, Paul Ruest, Catherine Burns and Jennifer Hickson, Michelle Harris, Aaron Henkin, Bianca Tonas, Tony Barbieri, and Ben Schreier. Our original music about the Immaculate Dollar was written and performed by Bry Webb and Rich Burnett, produced by Bry and Jeff McMurrich. His website, bryweb.com. Our website is thisamericanlife.org, where this week we have extra coincidence stories from you that all involve your photographs. That's at thisamericanlife.org. This American Life is distributed by Public Radio International. WBEZ management for our show by our boss, Mr. Tori Malatia, who's on vacation with Ira this week. They were so excited for their cruise, but it seems like by day three, the fun is starting to fade. You and are so impossible to argue with. So when you ask, you are so set in your way. I'm 81. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm Sarah Koenig. Ira Glass will be back next week with more stories of This American Life. PRI Public Radio International.